Before we move to the England football team and various fun things to do with that, Ron Nodes doesn't come across brilliantly when he talks about how there's steel in the white players and not in the black players. I think this is just a recidivist view that should just be ignored and he should politely learn to educate himself because Palace are not like that today. Yeah, well, Ron Nodes has passed away now. Um, but yes, he's, he's, that quote by him is well known. I mean, I think there's um, certainly suggestions that uh, Ian Wright was so appalled by it that he, that was one of the reasons why he left to join Arsenal. I think that's probably a bit of an exaggeration, really. I think probably Ian Wright left Palace for other reasons. But nonetheless, uh, it was a distasteful quote. And I think um, Bill, I'll, I'll invite Bill to come in as well because he came across a quote from Bernard Joy, which was a long, similar line. I mean, but Bernard Joy was a, a very famous journalist in the 1970s. He was an ex-amateur footballer. In, in, when I say amateur, what I mean is a very wealthy guy who could afford to play for nothing. He, he played for Arsenal. And he wrote an article um, in advance of Germany were going to play a black player in the international side. And he said it could never really happen in England because um, black players haven't got the temperament. Uh, the ground conditions are against them. They couldn't hit the barracking, and the, and the temperatures are no good. I mean, this is 1975, only you know, shortly before Viv Anderson was going to become the first black player for England. But Bernard Joy just couldn't see it happening because of these supposed defects that black players had. And I always find it ironic that Crystal Palace almost signed a player called Tony Cunningham. Tony was the first black player at Sheffield Wednesday. Now, bear in mind that Nords made comments about black players' general intelligence and resilience. Had they signed Tony Cunningham? Tony Cunningham played 600 games. He played most of them in the sort of second, third divisions when the tackle from behind was still allowed. He had a degree in engineering. He later became a, a practising solicitor. He was captain of two clubs and he actually managed a club at one point as well. And he was the manager. The very first game where both managers were black, Tony Cunningham was one of them, Keith Alexander of Lincoln being, being the other. Um, so Tony Cunningham just, and, and many, many others. I mean, many players in our book have played five, 600 games. Tony Ford is a classic, over a thousand games. And yet you still had this perception from people like Nords and Joy, that black players just didn't have the resilience. Jack Leslie of Plymouth, he was a mixed-raced East Ender um, who moved to Plymouth and £100,000 has been raised for a statue due to be designed and there will be the Jack Leslie Square in Plymouth itself. Do you, who do you think was given a worse deal? Woman in the 1920s when they were banned from playing football or Jack Leslie, who was effectively barred from representing his country? That's a no-win question. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's, they're um, equally as bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, certainly I, I can speak uh, on behalf of Jack's situation. Um, I mean, Jack was very philosophical about what happened to him, uh, whether he was just browbeaten into being used to being treated in, in this way, I don't know. But when I set off on the Jack Leslie story... I didn't believe it. I thought, well, you know, we're going to disprove this one because no way did a third division player get picked for England and then drop because he was black. But the the in-depth research we did proves beyond any doubt whatsoever that Jack Leslie was picked for England. And when the squad eventually went off to Ireland a couple of weeks later, he wasn't in the squad any longer. He was fit. He wasn't suspended. Uh, so the only conclusion can be that he was dropped because he was black. So, I mean, that's as 
as raw a deal as you can get, really, because he never won a cup. He never got back in the squad ever again. I mean, he, he went back to work as a boilermaker after he retired from football, but he also worked in West Ham's boot room. So, again, the irony is that um, when West Ham became the first club to play three, play three black players in the same side... Jack would have been the one getting the boots ready for the uh, for the black lads who were you know going to going to make history, but apparently he never spoke about his football career. So the the, the modern day West Ham players didn't realise that he'd uh, he had the story to tell that he he could have done. Oh boy, it just gets worse. Everything gets worse. Neville Chamberlain, whom I'd not heard of, I'd heard of Mark Chamberlain and Mark's son Alexander. But I didn't know that Neville Chamberlain represented Newport County and Port Vale. Is Neville still around? Neville is very much still around. Very lively, nice man. I, I interviewed Neville. Um, you can imagine he was quite uh, pleased to find that he had two chapters to himself, whereas little brother Mark hasn't got any. Yeah, he's got so none. I think, I think, yeah, so I think it's a bit of a, a win for, uh, for <laughs> Neville. He obviously never reached the heights that Mark reached. I think Mark was the second black player to score for England. You know, Neville was more of a journeyman. He, he played in the lower leagues, but he played a lot of games in his career. He made a, you know, made a good career out of it. Played for Stoke. Manchester United wanted, wanted to buy them both as a package at one point, but Port Vale hung out for too much money. Uh, so Neville could have ended up with Manchester United. I guess it's just the look of the draw, isn't it? Right place, right time. Yeah, but Alex could have probably ended up with Man United had he not been attracted to Arsenal, probably because of how excellent the system was under Arsene Wenger. And we're speaking the day after Arsenal lost at home to Burnley. Crisis, crisis. So you think Sunderland are in crisis? Talk to an Arsenal fan. David, I will ask you this. 1990, the World Cup, Italia 90. How many black players did England take in the squad? Absolutely useless at this sort of thing. I, my memory is poor at the best of times, uh, as my wife would be happy to vouch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say two. Oh, one guess. Uh, John okay. Barnes was one. Yeah. Paul Parker, the ferret, uh, right back, and Des Walker was the third. Three of them. I stand corrected. I stand corrected, but I'm never any good at that kind of game. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try Bill. Uh, up to Sunderland now. Um, there were how many black players who represented England in the 1998 World Cup final squad? Well, I'm going to go higher. Um, <laughs> nine. Ooh, no, there were nine in the 2002 squad, but there were only four in the 1998 squad. Um, there were two centre backs, a centre midfield, and a centre forward. Sol Campbell. He's good. I was going to say, you can ask you to name. You can name them if you want. You will get a cop. The winner, by the way, gets a copy of Football's Black Pioneers uh, by Bill Hearn and David Leave, available at Conquer Editions for sixteen pounds. Um, Bill, I've given you Sol, Paul Ince. I'm hopeless at it. Was David James around there? I really. Uh... David James was two thousand and two. I can tell you that two of the black players in the '98 squad had the same surname. One became one of an international class defenders who won Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues and played for West Ham. Ferdinand? Ferdinand is correct. A book's on its way to you. Yeah, Les Ferdinand and Leo Ferdinand. 2006, there were seven. 2010, there were eight. 2014, there were seven. 2018, 12 black or mixed race players, including the likes of Kyle Walker, Jamaican-born Raheem Sterling, the Wizard of Withenshaw, Marcus Rashford. 
Would Ashley Cole have been so detested if he were white? I don't think he would have been personally. It's, it's rather like criticising Marcus Rochford for having property, isn't it? Mm. Or Raheem Sterling for looking after his, uh, his family. I've never, I've never really quite understood why Ashley Cole uh, yeah, attracted such uh, unpopularity. He, he was at Palace for a short while. We had him on loan. Uh, and I think we we said to Arsenal, oh, come on, you don't need him. We, you, you've got plenty of left-backs, we'll take him. And they, they said, oh, no, no, we're having him back. Thank you very much. Uh, so I think he shone last at Palace while he was there briefly. Uh, so he was certainly uh, never unpopular at Palace. We all recognised a very, very good left-back uh, when we saw him. Tony, I was just going to say, to sort of continue the, 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 the sort of quiz side of it, I mentioned Brendan Batson being Arsenal's first black peer in 1972. By 2002, only 30 years later, they fielded 10 black players in the same side. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask you to name them because Vieira? I've got them written down somewhere else. I think, yeah, I mean, Vieira is certainly one of them, but I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the full 10 without digging the papers out. But I think that just shows how quickly things moved on. And Viv Anderson was the first full international, you know, black full international for England in 1978. Uh, only l- October, I think, England played their hundredth black player at full international level. Now you, you probably you probably better work this one out. But he uh, he plays for Chelsea. Rhys James. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So a hundred a hundred players between nineteen seventy eight and two thousand and twenty. Well, although, yes, as a percentage of the population. I mean, the, the Ashley Cole question I asked, because Steven Gerrard wanted to leave Liverpool, Wayne Rooney wanted to leave Manchester United, Ashley Cole wanted to leave Chelsea, everyone piled in on him, uh, which I seem, I think is disingenuous. But my book that I'm not here to talk about, the seed of that was sown when I realised that Ashley Cole was the best in the world at what he did. There was no better left back than Ashley Cole. And, and I thought it was very unfair, but he was a very good player. Um, but yes, only a hundred players of black or mixed descent who have played for England, and not all of those will get the public square. I have named a black eleven that I hope can go up against your pioneer eleven. So of of the ninety three players whom you've picked, I don't think there's any crossover. My goalkeeper is David James, who came through at Watford but wasn't allowed to play in an FA Cup semi-final because Graham Taylor said it would ruin him if he conceded six. So David James is my keeper. Can you upgrade? Is there a pioneer goalkeeper? Well, there is a pioneer goalkeeper, isn't there? There is. We've only got one goalkeeper in the squad, Um, a guy called Denver Mitchell, who was Harrogate's first black player. Uh, back in 1976, I think it was, when Harrogate were in something like the second division of the Yorkshire League. So it just shows how quickly teams can uh, move up the the pyramid. I'm just going to interrupt briefly because um, we've got an event coming up on Thursday that focuses on Windrush generation footballers and Denver Mitchell is the only goalkeeper in that uh, category, uh, and I, I would like Bill to go on talking about Denver in a minute because he does has got an interesting story. But of course, we you're going to mustn't, talk about mustn't forget Arthur Wharton, who was a goalkeeper and uh, was indeed the first black professional player ever. So anyway, but, but uh, I, I suspect Johnny knows about uh, Arthur Wharton, but he, he probably doesn't know about Denver Mitchell. So I'm going to so, sorry for interrupting. Please carry on. I'm, I'm not too sure how Arthur Wharton would cope in today's football. Oh, different rules. It's, it's, yeah. Well, they the virtu- the virtually were different rules. I mean, Wharton was a very physical goalkeeper, as were the, the forwards. I mean, it was almost like wrestling. Yeah, as you had to, to... Yeah, barges were allowed, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Wharton's definitely um, the most famous of the uh, of the goalkeepers, and probably the most capable. Denver Mitchell is interesting because he made his debut at uh, Raw Marsh Welfare, and the reason we found Raw Marsh Welfare interesting is that they had a, a future England goalkeeper played for them, and in his first game he conceded twelve goals. And in his second game, he improved and only conceded three. But Romash said, well, we, we don't really want you anymore. You can go. And he later went on to win 73 caps for England, believe it or not. And he's arguably England's greatest ever goalkeeper. Was it the late Ray Clemens? Gordon Banks. Oh, Gordon, no, Gordon Banks. Banks. Right. But uh, going back even further. Uh, and and Romash, again, is somewhere it's in Rotherham. Um, Wharton would have played there as well. So uh, Denver Mitchell... Never played league football, never really got close. But um, it was an interesting story, uh, the Harrogate one. Yeah, and it just snuck in on the last day of the writing book. Exactly. On the last day of the four years that it took you to research and pen this book. Uh, My back four, uh, Viv Anderson we must have, Paul Parker we must have, Ledley King and the great Rio Ferdinand. Viv Anderson there because he is the son of Windrush immigrants. So he... yeah. He may be in your eleven as well, but who's your well, back? He certainly is, and Bre- Brendan Batson gets in as a, as a sort of a you know a regular first division defender. I wonder whether we can sneak Ferdinand in on on uh, Roxanne's relationship with him, David. But perhaps not. But D- David's wife used to teach um, Rio Ferdinand ballet, or just a, a subject. <laughs> well, that, that's interesting. I'll let David tell us about the ballet. Well, I mean, that, this was when he, in his primary school days at, uh, at Peckham, where she was a teacher. Um, and I think um, she and her colleagues uh, developed quite an easy way of disciplining uh, Rio. They said, uh, if you don't behave, we're going to take your ball away. <laughs> so, so uh, and funnily enough, she, we bumped into Rio at Euston Station uh, about a year ago, uh, and she made a beeline for me. She said, oh, hello, you know, do you remember me from Peckham? Uh, and he very clearly did. Uh, and it was, it was really quite touching. He kind of called his girlfriend at the time over, now his wife, and said, uh, oh, you must meet this lady. She was my teacher at Peckham. Um, so uh, she had a very nice chat with him. And uh, as I say, I don't think we can honestly sneak him into the team because we've been quite strict with ourselves on Thursday and saying we're only going to consider people who were first black players who were members of the Windrush generation and Rio wasn't the first black player by a long shot at West Ham so or, or indeed at Leeds or Man United so no Rio won't be in the team but uh, he would be if you were just going on merit yeah, or no, indeed I've, I've bagsied him so Batson Anderson so who does make it we're struggling defensively quite honestly we've got a lot of great midfielders and forwards but I don't know David who do you think for the defence well I think we've only identified two actual Windrush pioneers first black players who Counters Windrush generation, neither of whom Johnny will have heard of. I suspect there was uh, Andy Elaine at Reading, who was uh, from Barbados. Uh, I think he was born. He was born on Barbados. He was a genuine. Yes. Uh, wow. uh, and then the the other the other guy also born in in, in Guyana, British Guyana at the time. I think uh, a guy called Michael Maynard, who was the first black player at Peterborough. Um, and I think Bill wrote a really lovely piece for the Peterborough chapter about somebody who wasn't uh, Michael Maynard um, and he, he interviewed him and it was, it was a great story um, but unfortunately you know, sort of a few months before we, uh, we, we went to print um, 
Bill came across a team photo that was earlier, uh, and Michael Maynard was uh, turned out to be the first black player at Peterborough. He was born in British Guyana. Uh, as I say, we're really, as Bill said, we're struggling for defenders in our team, but so uh, Maynard and Alain are probably the only genuine defenders that we've got available to us and neither of them were that good if we move out of the Windrush generation that would allow us to select Charlie Williams the comedian who was centre half at Doncaster for a long long time Uh, probably before your time Johnny is he Charlie Williams I only know him because Bernard Manning was a friend of his so I know the name. Uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Was he chalky, Charlie Williams? I don't know. No, I don't think he was. I think that was another Canadian. But okay. he certainly made what, what would now be very racist jokes. Uh, but, you know, just a man of the times. But well, he's a hero in, uh, in South Yorkshire. Yeah. In the, the village he lived in. But I, I went to, to the village. And even now, he, if he was alive, he would be the only black person there. It really is... Uh, you know, the, it, it couldn't be more Yorkshire. And he couldn't be more Yorkshire. Um you know, it's just incredible. Just the pigmentation. Um, I've got my midfield four here, and it does include Tony Ford, just because of the experience of playing from 1975 to 2001, a Stanley Matthews-esque career of 26 games. Uh, I've got John Barnes in the centre of midfield alongside Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and then Raheem Sterling left mid. I can, well, I can remember a couple off the top of my head. I mean, I... I I think we would probably play Laurie Cunningham in midfield simply because we are quite short of uh, midfielders and he, I think he should get into anybody's team. And then there is also uh, Paul Cannaville, I think, was essentially a, a midfielder as well. Both tended to be wide midfielders. So, Well, I was thinking, you know, again, if we move out of the Windrush, um, we could have Chris Kamara in there, couldn't we, for a, a bit of steel? Yes, yes, yes. Carl Valentine, not well known in England, but Carl Valentine is a, a, a legend in Canada. He, he moved from England to Canada became a nationalised uh, as, as a Canadian. So I think Carl, Carl Valentine would get in there. I'd be tempted to stick um, or to choose Steve McCorney just to find out if he if he could play or not. Steve McCorney was first black player at um, Coventry and Barnsley. And in Africa, he was regarded as one of the, the greatest players all, of all time, comparable to Pelé. And yet he couldn't get a game at Barnsley, he couldn't get a game at Cardiff, and he couldn't get a game at Coventry. And most of the rest of his career and the things he claimed seemed like Walter Mitty's stuff. So it's a bit like, do you remember when Southampton signed that? Yes. It's supposed to be George Weir's. Yeah, I think it's a little bit like that. We, we, we'll put him on and we might need to haul him off after 15 minutes because he realises he's not as good as he as he said he was. But Lindy Della Pena, probably worth a slot there. I mean, if Lindy had played in, the, in current day football, he would have certainly played for England under the sort of qualification rules and so on. Uh, so I think Lindy Della Pena would get a game. But yeah, we're struggling to match your side, I think, Johnny. Oh, well, it's, it, I'll, I'll bring on the kids in the second half. But yeah, the, <laughs> the fact that Raheem Sterling has become one of the top British footballers of his age, having been born in Jamaica, came over here, grew up in northwest London, the, this moment where Rashford and Sterling and Eric Dyer as well, the political footballer, in a way that Viv Anderson was only political because of his skin colour. I'm not sure would Viv have been allowed to make the kind of points that Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling would be making today. No, they, they definitely wouldn't. I think that is the big difference. I mean, I'm a great admirer of Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford, but they have got that support behind them. And they're still very brave young men. But if Viv or, or one of his contemporaries had um, 
stood up like that, I think they would have soon been put in their place. If you're interested in uh, sort of footballers who make political gestures, I'm going to mention a couple from Leighton Orient. Um, Bobby Fisher and um, uh, Cunningham, who ended up at West Bromwich. He, uh, uh, Laurie Cunningham was not the first black player at Leighton Orient. Uh, a guy called Bobby Fisher was. It's quite a controversial sort of story because elements of it are definitely not true, but some parts of it definitely are true. The two of them suffered a, a sort of terrible racist abuse at the Den in a game between uh, Millwall and Orient uh, and at the end towards the end of the game they responded by making the, the black power salute uh, towards the uh, Millwall fans I suspect they did it as they were leaving the field they would have been quite unwise to have done it any so- sooner I think uh, and the story goes and it it's, was reported in the papers that uh, one of the things that was thrown at them was a, was a carving knife uh, which whistled past their ear and then up front right and bright David would be happy with that. Ooh, a palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> and then Emil Heskey to come on off the bench as when necessary. But um, yes, I had to put Wright and Bright up front because the partnership that they had precluded what Dwight York and Andy Cole were doing. There hasn't been a black partnership for England, to my knowledge, because it's either been Kane or Rooney or Owen or Shearer going back. So I, th- I think that had the two of them played regularly for England, maybe we could have got to the 94 World Cup, although Lineker was still playing and Alan Smith. I mean, from, from our point of view, I think we should give Jack Leslie his first cup. I think we should pick Jack Leslie up front and uh, add that to the statue in the square named after him. So we're, we're starting to fight back for Jack. And I wondered about Eddie Paris as well. David, um, the first... Black player to play for Wales in, in 1931, I think it was. Um, Eddie Paris of a few clubs, really. Bradford Park Avenue at the time. Not quite the, the, the right and bright, I'm afraid, but uh, Jack Leslie had a physical presence. I think we met him captain as well. Walter Tull's another contender. We could have put Walter Tull up front. He was the chap who served as a soldier in the First World War and passed away. That's right, yeah, lost his life in World War One. He was, um, some people say he was the first black officer in the British Army. He wasn't quite, but it was still quite an amazing achievement to reach that sort of level as a, as a person of colour. Uh, yeah, he played for, he was Spurs' first black player, and then he went to Northampton when they were still in the Southern League and did very well at Northampton. He was probably going to sign for Glasgow Rangers had the, the war not taken the turn that it did. Um, so, yeah, he was a, a very good player and he wouldn't let us down in, in a representative game like this. I, I hope someone mocks it up because as I went to school, I've only recently realised that I wasn't, legally, I wasn't allowed to learn about homosexuality in primary school because of when I went. We are now finally seeing this diversity of thought and equality of curriculum that is desperate in a multicultural Britain but Windrush was 60 years ago. It does take time to filter down. We are now of the generation where the grandchildren of the initial Tilbury Dockers uh, are alive. And this, this country, and thus its sports teams, are more representative of its people. However, there were 10 German bombers, la 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 la. So how do we move on? Because they won't go away, the Neanderthalic, as we saw the other week. Uh, we're, not, we're not booing Black Lives Matter and we're booing Black Lives Matter, capital BLM. If we've got almost a majority England squad, black and mixed race, although no Indians and no Chinese just yet, 
what do we do about this nationalism that's based on something that happened in none of our lifetimes? OK, well, I don't, hope Bill won't mind if I go first on that, because my wife... Oh, no, I expected you to, David. <laughs> my, my wife's a teacher, and so um, we regularly have conversations here about uh, the curriculum and the way that black history is underrepresented now uh, in the curriculum. Um, she's very active within our area where we live in Croydon in trying to get that change. She's on a group of local head teachers, uh, obviously all white, um, that she's talking to to try and get more diversity into the curriculum. Uh, and in, we, we both feel very strongly that you should not be talking about Black History Month, as, 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 as she says. I'm black every day of the year, not just for one month a year. Uh, and so black history needs to be integrated throughout the curriculum throughout the year. It's too late, to, I think, to win over the hearts and minds of the sort of people that were uh, booing at Millwall and at Colchester. But hopefully it's not too late to win over the hearts and minds of their young children. And I think probably there's really got to be a concerted push in primary schools upwards to get you know, black history better understood. And, I mean, one of the things that we're going to talk about at our event on Thursday is how we can use the stories of the black footballers that we've un uncovered here is as an educational tool, really. I mean, you've seen the timeline, you've seen the maps that I've put up there to show where players came from, uh, and it's a fairly short step from there to produce a you know, teacher resource packs that they can use lesson plans and so on, which is the sort of thing they need. And I think that's the only way you're going to tackle this. And if you had a supportive government, you could probably make headway quicker than we will be able to at the moment, because it's quite clear that this government not only isn't interested in it, it's actually positively hostile to it. So it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a long, hard haul, I think. Yes, there has been change, and yes, we are making progress, but it's nothing like fast enough, and it's nothing like the progress we should make. I mean, you know, I, you know my wife and I occasionally still face uh, abuse when we go out on the streets. We were at an event in Huddersfield, and we were just walking from our hotel back to the station and a car just drove past and wound his window down and hurled a little bit of abuse at us. That sort of thing should not be happening anywhere in 2020. And I'm not just saying it because it's me. It shouldn't be happening to anyone in 2020. And we've still got a long way to go, I think, before we actually can change that sort of situation. I will shout various things at Wilfred Zaha, but he is just too good for us, repeatedly. I think I'll just set Harry the Hornet on. I hope that's not, that doesn't bring the tone down so much. But I mean that I, just because someone's pigmentation is different doesn't mean they're less of a person. Surely people can see that. Not peace and love and unity, but just acceptance of basic humanity. And that Colchester's chairman does um, do what he says. I mean, this won't go out till February. Do you expect certain Colchester fans to have handed in their season ticket or be banned from going? Likewise at Millwall, which does so much in Bermondsey, so much in the community. Well, I'd be quite surprised if many fans actually do that. I, uh, but if they did, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the chairman would stick to his word and would give them their money back. Uh, and I think the, the strength of the statement that he came out with was very positive, And the strength of Millwall's condemnation of what happened was you know, to be lauded. And as, as we've already discussed a couple of times, that sort of thing would not have happened uh, in the past. You know, I don't know how far back we'd have to go for that sort of thing to start happening, but it's only really relatively recently that you've had the authorities coming out in that kind of way with that kind of strong statement against racism at football grounds. Um, so that is progress. 
I'm going to say it would be much more progress if they didn't have to do that at all. Indeed, there there are problems with the anti-racist movement. I was thinking about how Black Lives Matter as a movement is on par with Extinction Rebellion. There will always be fringes trying to move to the centre. But the basic tenet, we need to do something about the environment, we need to do something about representation in boardrooms, which is a big problem, not just on the pitch, but off it. And I think Raheem and Marcus and everyone else are doing their bit. And to to your point about schools, it's interesting to note that David Olushoga has brought out a kid's version of his Black and British book. So we do need to tackle black history in a way that is commensurate with the curriculum. What other books should kids or football fans be reading in the football library? Not just black players, but non-black as well. What are your favourite books? Start with Bill. It's... Actually, you can see the. Uh, I mean, I've got just about every book going, really. Oh, I can, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've, got, I've got a mixture, and it isn't particularly what what children need to read. I mean, I'll, I'll, I've just ordered uh, Bob Paisley's um, biography, for example, the old Liverpool manager. Um, Quiet genius. Yeah. I mean, Roxanne keeps coming up with really, really good books, not necessarily football ones, David, but uh, just just really great stories that uh, appeal to to all sorts of children. Yeah, I mean, I think because Roxanne was a teacher, she was a teacher in the primary schools around London. She had, you know, lots of black children in in her class, and she was usually one of very few black teachers on the staff. So I think she felt she had a role to play. Do you do you both have a favourite book overall that you would thrust into anyone's hand? But of the books I read during the research for this, I actually very much liked um, Steve Stacey's book. Um, I forget the exact title of it, but Steve was the first black player at Charlton, Ipswich and Exeter City. And the thing that makes it interesting for me is that he is what is known as a brown baby. His father was an American, a black American GI who was based over here during the war, um, who um, sort of has, had a relationship with a local white woman in Bristol. Um, and wasn't allowed by the American authorities to have anything more to do with her. I mean, the American authorities were so, so opposed to that kind of interracial, interracial relationship that they would send the, uh, the, the, the uh, GI to the other end of the country if they had to, to break the relationship out. And certainly um, Steve Stacey's dad was sent back to America at the end of the war, as were his, his uh, colleagues. Uh, and ostensibly, the, you know, Steve Stacey was left behind to be brought up by his mother and by her parents. The nice thing about the Steve Stacey story, I think, is that he... Was, he's very aware of his black heritage, and he made the uh, took the effort to track his father down and go and meet him in America. So, as an adult, Steve Stacey went over to America and met uh, his father, who was called Clarence Sims. Uh, and you know, the, obviously, an old man by then, but nonetheless, they had some time together before Clarence died. Uh, and I think that that was a nice story. It's, uh, it, there's lots and lots in Steve Stacey's book that if you're interested in football, if you're interested in aspects of black British history, I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, Steve Stacey didn't have a hugely successful footballing career, but nonetheless, there is other stuff in his book which made it very interesting to me. That's brilliant. And I do hope that these black historians like Ibram Kendi and David Olushoga have looked at some of these footballers because they're visible, visible black people. I know we've got David Lammy and Diane Abbott, whom I always say they've got the biggest majority in Britain, Lammy and Abbott. They're not going to get voted out anytime soon. We're stuck with them for good and ill. The media is now being more populated with black uh, 
media operators. Um, there could be a, f- a few more academics and judges and MPs and people in the House of Lords. But we're getting there. It takes a few generations. And this book, Football's Black Pioneers by Bill Hearn and David Gleave, £16 Conquer edu- Editions, Education. I'm still thinking about education. Uh, it's one of the books of the year uh, because it's necessary. And it would, be, it would have been necessary 20 years ago or 50 years ago. But the fact that you have um, used your civil service brains uh, to come together uh, and uh, talk about how magnificent uh, black heritage is, is a credit to you both. What do you hope happens next with this book? Do you envisage like a schools tour next year? I, I mean, I, I think we, we do need to share it as widely as we possibly can. I mean, one or two reviews have said, you know, this book should be in every school, perhaps even every household. But yeah, we want to share what we've learned. There's an awful lot that isn't in the book. We spent four years and uh, there's only so much you can squeeze into 228 pages. So there's a lot more to tell as well. I don't think it'll make another book, but certainly it could supplement uh, presentations and so on at schools and uh, at other occasions. And it's all at footballs-black-pioneers.com. And there is a Twitter account uh, as well, which I've got open here. It is pioneers underscore book. Next year, well, next year, I hope Sunderland go up. Uh, with Crystal Palace, Ezzy looks like a magnificent player. Zaha's not going anywhere for the moment, although maybe, David, will 2021 be the year Zaha says farewell? I don't know, Zaha tries to say farewell every year, but there's a bit of a shortage of takers. I mean, he has, you know, I love watching him. I think he's a great player to watch. But I mean, if I was thinking of spending quite a few million pounds on him, uh, there are flaws in his character. Uh, there's nothing to do with his race. There are flaws in, in Will Zaha's temperament. Yes, he's very petulant. Making, yes. Make him a bit of a gamble for any big club. If you're spending big bucks, you know, you don't really want somebody who's um, kind of sulk every now and again during a game. So he may stay. I agree with you about Eze. I, I think that's an absolute great signing for Palace because he takes some of the weight off Zahar. You know, we've now got two players who are capable of running at defences with the ball and causing trouble, whereas before we only had one. And if you could mark Wilf Zahar out of the game, then you probably had stifled Palace more or less completely. Now we've got two, and that's much harder. For, for teams to deal with so um, I don't think Wolf will leave if you ask me to put money on it I hope he doesn't because I enjoy watching him play and it'd be nice to get back and actually watch him play in, in person you know, in, 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 the, in the flesh which I hope I'll be able to do next season uh, but I don't think Palace are ever going to go anywhere you know, above mid-table really and I think in a way Sunderland probably suffered from that a bit you know they spent was it 10 years in the Premiership and yeah. after, after a while it just becomes what's our what's the height of our ambition this year? Oh, let's try and finish tenth. And I think fans, after a while, want more. And sometimes the owners and managers overstretch and try and deliver more. And overstretch is what happened at Sunderland. I think they were trying to do. Yeah, it just didn't work. I will finish by thanking you both. I think this is a good compliment to Who Are You, which is Kevin Day's book about the history of the ninety-two football league clubs. But this has a particular focus and i hope it's widely read will there be a paperback by the way it, 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 i think it is classed as a paperback technically johnny oh, okay. um one thing i wanted to mention because uh it's to give watford a pat on the back uh we found that the very first indian heritage professional footballer or, or two actually brothers played for watford at the turn of the 19th 20th century so next year we want to do a lot more work 
in trying to publicise uh, the achievements of John Cother, the first Indian heritage footballer who played for Watford quite a while back. And, uh, you know, as, as you've said, Watford have got a great reputation in terms of encouraging um, non-white footballers. Uh, and we'd like to uh, to give it more publicity. Well, if you speak to Rich Walker at the club, I'm sure he will do his very best to help out. And Luther, St. Luther, uh, is overseeing, uh, in association with Rita Taylor, who's given it her blessing, the effectively the old boys network at Watford. And it's so great that Luther, who is such a gentleman, uh, is associated, albeit with Bournemouth a little bit, but he's ours. Luther is ours, in the much the same way that Wilf Zaha is Palace's. And uh, who belongs to Sunderland? Um, Kevin Phillips. Alfie Common. Kevin Phillips. Um, And I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nick Barnes. This will go out in February, so I hope your respective teams have survived relegation by then. Football's Black Pioneers, £16 from Conquer Editions. Pioneers underscore book is the Twitter feed. Bill Hearn, David Gleave, I wish you so much luck. And um, give regards to your wife, David. Um, She did well with Rio. All that threatening to take his ball <laughs> away. Look what happened. I will, and uh, thank you very much, Johnny. It's Cheers. been a pleasure. Just like the library! Just like the library!